And a hello to everyone listening online, on mobile, in the car, wherever you get your podcast. This is On the Farm, a show dedicated to covering all things baseball, now in podcast form. I'm Matt Kovitz, and joining me for the first time on a consistent basis in about two and a half years, my esteemed colleague, Sam Shapiro. And Sam, it gives me great pleasure to ask how you're doing, because aside from a few cameo appearances throughout our time at school, we haven't seen you in a while. Yeah, it feels really good to be back, and it feels great to be answering, you know, that question of how I'm doing. Uh, that makes me feel like, you know, we're back in the old swing of things, you know, just as they were in our glory days. But uh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm happy to be here, and, you know, I'm, I'm happy that we have some baseball to talk about. Of course, how we got here for the millions of listeners that will be tuning in for the first time who didn't get WNYU in the tri-state area, I'm, there will be many, of course. We had a show from... March of 2017, it was called On the Farm, March of 2017 to May 2018. And the show kept its name and went until my graduation in May. Of course, everything, uh, the world went backwards a couple months ago. And we haven't had a consistent medium since. And through our conversations in quarantine, Sam and I were really discussing trying to get this back on track. And the answer to the question of why you're doing this now, it's six months of quarantine. Everyone's allowed to do one podcast and start something. Everyone's got their bread to bake. I have my show to make. Exactly. And, you know, not to be too much of a doomer and gloomer here, uh, this is probably going to be a, a rough winter in terms of, you know, not being able to go out and go about our normal business. And so uh, there would be very few things that, that would warm my heart more than being able to, you know, get some good hot stove chatter going fall, what's certain to be a very interesting off season. Uh, we're, we're not going to get into this really this show, but I think one thing to think about going forward is uh, it's going to be really interesting how a lot of these teams are basing their futures off of what happened in this crazy shortened season. But, uh, you know, obviously more on that down the line, you know, there's, uh, as, as you alluded to, Matt, there is a really, really circuitous route that uh, the MLB took in order to get to where it is right now. Honestly, if you asked me a few months ago if they would get to this point, I would say yes, but I'd be burying my head in the sand because between the labor negotiations and players fearing for their safety, I didn't think that we'd actually reach a point where there was an agreement. And even though that agreement was begrudging at best because the original plan was for 82 games, the owner said no to that, 50 games was brought up, and they met in the somewhat of the middle at 60, even though the players didn't really accept. It was just unilaterally uh, imposed by Major League Baseball. But that seemed to end that. There will possibly be an ugly labor meeting in the next 12 months or so. There is a strike looming if that does occur. But I'm hoping that the fact that they got to this point means that there isn't too much ill will, but that may be a bit too hopeful. That being said, we did get 60 games and it has been a quite an interesting season, starting from spring training to the postponement of everything to summer camp. So spring training 2.0, the intake testing that had uh, dozens of players testing positive and staying away from the team. Free agents like Yasiel Puig remaining asymptomatic but not being able to get a contract. Puig, you are patient. From between that and people getting testing positive throughout the season, it has been a whirlwind of 
even getting to 57 games, because if we start in the beginning of the year, opening day was a, I'm thinking off the top of my head, it was a Thursday night, but the first time everyone was playing all 30 teams, Jorge Alfaro of the Miami Marlins tested positive, and he flew on the plane with his, with his teammates to Philadelphia. That was just sort of swept under the rug until Sunday when Sandy Alcantara and Jose Urena tested positive. Fast forward a few days, it ends up being 17 players test positive for COVID. They have a two-week shutdown of their season. What did you think in that moment? Was it, what are we doing here? Because I remember you texting me, especially when Juan Soto wasn't available for the opening day game against the Yankees because he was having inconclusive positive and negative tests. What were we doing here? What was your original thought? How long did you think the season would go? Uh, I thought not very much long after that, you know, given all the issues we'd, we'd seen in the winter sports in terms of, you know, what positive tests were kind of doing to their situations. I thought that, you know, things would be shut down fairly quickly. Um, and especially, you know, looking at the different constraints baseball has to deal with, you know, much larger rosters than, you know, your typical NBA team, not having the the bubble setup that uh, the NBA and the NHL had. I didn't see a way forward, especially if, uh, not only you had these positive tests and these outbreaks, but as it became clear later in the season, you know, with your Cardinals players going to their casino, with Mike Clevenger and Zach Playsack going off and doing their own thing and not really grasping the consequences, uh, it, looked like, it, it seemed like the players themselves were really not taking this seriously. And so taking all that into consideration, I did not think that the season would, you know, would finish to be quite honest. And I'm, I'm very happy to have been proven wrong. And, you know, it looks like a lot of these, you know, these teams and these players got their shit together, which is, you know, a net positive for the game, but it certainly didn't feel that way in the moment. And of course, with the Marlins come the Cardinals, which was another two week break. And the Cardinals in particular are going to be a fascinating case study of what may need to happen over the next couple of days, because at their current schedule, they've had going to have 10 doubleheaders that they needed to make up from all the time they lost At the end of Sunday, they will have 58 games played. They still need a two-game series to make up with the Detroit Tigers. MLB was okay with punting on that series if it didn't matter for playoff seeding. But the Cardinals are in the thick of things, and the National League is a mess of jumbled teams from four to eight. I love seeing it. It's going to be game 59 and game 60 on Monday is the current schedule before the teams get locked away in the bubble. I don't know if you can consider, especially with all the injuries, that have gone on that we'll we'll of course get to, the injuries and the positive tests. Getting all these games in was a sprint. That's been said a lot. It's not a marathon, it's a sprint. But when you're playing double headers, a couple in a week, you're playing nine in seven days, nine games in seven days, uh, 15 games in 14 days without much of an off period. It's honestly surprising that these players have held up as best as they have, even though the injuries and the player uh, pools have been really depleted in some cases. I believe as of a few weeks ago, this was the sixth highest amount of players used in a season, and it's only been roughly a third of the season of a, of a normal 162-game docket. So unfathomable that we've actually reached this point. Quite happy for it. But injuries are something that have uh, really rocked the pitching world especially. Do you think that the lack of ramping up in spring training has led, led to that? Because there was only a three-week intake period where you would have exhibition games against other teams and against uh, inter-squad opponents. As of right now, there are 44 players who have qualified for the innings pitched VRA title, which means you need at least one inning pitched for each game played. Normally, it's around 60 for a full 162-game season. So there are guys who have had much much shorter leashes than usual. And just basically, what do you think of how this is going to affect injuries 
whether it be in the next month or whether it's going to be in 2021 when guys are going back to a full 162 game schedule, presumably. Sure. Uh, I mean, I think those, those are all points well taken. Uh, I would say though, that I, I would imagine, I would at least hope that while things were shut down, that, you know, pitchers have access to different spaces to train. I, 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 I think most of these guys would probably have, you know, mounds on their property. They can be working off of, you know, even if they're not like throwing like a full bullpen a day during like this, this during the spring months, they're, they're at least probably like, you know, doing their best to keep limber. You know, I do think the lack of a, the lack of a ramping up, you know, probably did play some role. I don't know if I'd go as far as to say that they just like went in cold or anything. Um, I, I think also one thing that's kind of been a little helpful have, have been these expanded uh, rosters, which uh, were initially supposed to be temporary. But I think that uh, uh, they're the correct me if I'm wrong. The roster limits were kept higher for longer than MLB intended, and that's why um, there's been uh, it's it, 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 the whole season's felt like September, where you're having like all these extra bullpen guys who you can just throw in, and that's kind of seen a that's come with a, a rise in, in bullpen games where you're seeing teams that aren't the Tampa Bay Rays, you know, just, you know, try and stick five different relievers out there to get through a nine-inning game. And because of this, you know, these expanded rosters, teams have the luxury to do that. Um, so I think that next year it will be interesting. Uh, I'd have to imagine that sports performance and training staffs are going to be working with players to figure out how they can best approach the offseason to not uh, overwork themselves too much, kind of bridge the gap between this year and, and, and a full season next year. Although it, it remains to be seen if next season is going to be starting on time, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll jump off that bridge when we get there, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm confident that they'll, they'll be able to figure something out there. Sorry if that was a very all over the place answer. I just, as you can tell, I have a lot of thoughts about this and this is probably the first long form conversation uh, I've had about baseball that isn't with my father since, you know, since the before times. So I'm normally just speaking at my wall. Occasionally, my cat will listen to me, but it's good to get this medium as well. But the names have been notable. Justin Verlander, Roberto Ozuna, uh, Ken Giles with Tommy John, Mike Skrimsky now day-to-day, I'm noticing, even though that's uh, not a long-term injury, but guys who have had started off hot just dealing with the aches and pains that you would normally see over a full stretch. And just looking, multiple teams have high DL counts, especially like the Tampa Bay Rays, whose entire pitching staff in the bullpen was just depleted. And whether that's a side effect of what's been going on, whether that would have happened anyway, I guess it all can never be answered in a, without a hypothetical scenario because these injuries could have been coming in a regular year. Verlander is approaching his 40s, of course, and he's thrown uh, 2,000 plus innings. But it's just weird to see everything happening at once. It feels like there are a lot more transactions to pay attention to. And normally... I would follow every single one in a normal year. It's just been very hard to keep up with the massive roster turnover. That's why the September analogy is certainly perfect. I I love that, honestly. Right. And we've talked about this before. It's been really interesting kind of watching the trajectory of how many guys have have been called up to make their major league debuts this year. Uh, You're seeing a lot of guys who are, you know, not just skipping AAA, but guys who uh, finished out 2019 in advanced class A and teams have to kind of factor in like, oh, you know, this is, you know, August or September of this year, you know, this guy would have had a full season in double A or promotion to triple A. And, you know, they're kind of having to, you know, adjust for, you know, the, the, the lack of the minor leagues by kind of bringing up guys when they would be ready time frame wise in a traditional year, but uh, without that live experience in the minors. And obviously these teams have these guys at the alternate sites and they're getting to see them, you know, face live batters and live pitchers every day. But it's, 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 it's really interesting for the game, I think, because 
obviously it's, you know, quite rare for people to come up to straight to the major leagues, skipping one, let alone two levels like the Phillies have like Rafael Marchand uh, as their, as I believe their, their third catcher right now. And he spent most of last year in regular class A in the South Atlantic league. And now it's, uh, it's September and he's, you know, playing for a major league team that's in the middle of a playoff push. Um, And so as someone who does geek out over the player development angle and seeing guys come up and make their debuts, that's been really interesting and really cool to see. And I look forward to kind of exploring that in the future, seeing how that changes teams calculus and how they're, how they're adjusting, how they're bringing guys up, what they're looking for in terms of development and, and seasoning of their top prospects. I think it's going to happen a lot more where guys are skipping levels. They've shown at least in some cases, that it can be done and you maybe not don't need all of that seasoning. And if you're hitting and your bat is good, may as well bring you up if you have the opportunity. Of course, the service time clock is always going to be a factor. The prorated uh, salary also meant that service time, you, don't, you didn't need to be on, you didn't have to wait 10 days. I believe it was a little bit less than that to get called up and still have that extra seventh year of control over your player. But normal year, I think this happens much more. And you did allude to that guys in a playoff push. I did want to transition to the playoff push because of course it is a lot different than we are used to. Normally, uh, three division winners, two wild cards in a playoff. Right now, every first place team and every second place team in the division makes it. And then we have two wild card spots. So expanding from five to eight in each league. And before we get to who's in and who's out, what are your thoughts on this? And then I'll give mine. It's been a point of contention amongst fans. Would you want to go to the NBA or the NHL model? Or, hey, it's a 60-game season. Fuck it. Let's just see what happens. So I personally am a fan, especially for the 60-game season, just because if you look at every single Major League Baseball season after 60 games, those standings are going to look a bit like the the standings at the end of the year but you always have to provide for the possibility that a team is going to you know start out extremely hot and then come back down to earth or you'll have like a slow burn over the course of the summer and i think that this does the best possible job of balancing that out in general i i think i still like it but for a bit of a heterodox reason for me it's just like very cool to see such a large proportion of teams breaking postseason droughts and we'll get into specific teams that were surprised they're doing this well a little later in the show but you have a team with the Padres who haven't been in the postseason since I was 10 years old you have the Marlins who you know have been you know wandering through the desert for years uh the White Sox it's been I believe over a decade for them as well uh, and I think kind of expanding the playoffs just gives a really nice jolt to these fan bases, gives them more of a chance to you know, see their team play meaningful October baseball. Uh, and I think that kind of with the challenges the game is facing uh, over the next few years, that fan engagement and making sure people are invested and, and excited and hyped up, uh, I think that's kind of something that the league has to provide for. And if expanded playoffs are the way to do that, uh, then I think you got you, you got to go forward. I agree with you. I have to play devil's advocate, however, because say this continues and the seven or the eight seed in a league is 83 and 79. Does that want, does that make owners propel their spending or do they say, no, we're a playoff team. We don't need to really change the roster. We can keep it as it is because the last few years, there's been a lack of spending at most teams levels. Aside from the gaudy off season last year, there were two years in a row where there, there not much money being spent, especially on middle-class free agents and guys entering their thirties. Are there going to be fewer buy now teams and trying to win? I think that could be a concern where salaries are sort of remaining stagnant, especially entering a year of economic uncertainty that's coming up. I think that could continue if there are more teams that are still hovering around the race, 
will probably get bounced in the first round by a much better team. Although in a two out of three series, it's uh, not, it's easier said than done. It's very hard to win even because and there's so many random things that can happen over a three game series. But if you're sticking around and not really reaching the number one seed, is there an incentive because you're making your playoff money? Is there an incentive to spend more and get a championship for some of these owners? I mean, I think there is because number one, you're, you are getting your playoff money, but you're getting considerably less money if you're this, you know, scrub team that's just making it across the line and getting bounced by the Dodgers in the first round. I think that uh, even if making the playoffs itself is its own bonus, there's so many more advantages, both financially and, you know, in terms of you know, building a winning team in, ter- in terms of making it further. I, 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 I think that, you know, teams are going to be in the situation where they're going to be, you know, like an eight seed facing the best team in the league. And they're going to be like, wow, this sucks. You know, we're not getting the chance to, you know, make it further to make me more money. We're not, you know, we're not getting the chance to like actually advance and, you know, hopefully bring a trophy back to the city. Um, and I, I think that if you look at the other pro sports where in the NBA, you have teams that will make the playoffs with a sub 500 record in the NFL, where you will have an eight and eight team make the playoffs every couple of years. You know, these are concerns in those leagues that, oh, teams are going to be happy crawling in with the eight seed in the East at like a, with a 470 winning percentage. Um, you know, you, you would never think of an NBA owner be like, oh, that's good enough for me. We don't need to spend any more money. I, I think that that is a concern, but I would also caution that baseball owners are probably just this is just me off the cuff. They're probably much more of the cheapskate variety than most other pro sport owners. I think that the way labor relations have gone over the past 30 years kind of speak to that. And if it weren't one thing, it'd be your mother. So you don't think Bob Nutting would just be like, oh, the Pirates are 81 and 81. We have it all. I'm so proud of us. I'm not going to invest anything else. Granted, most owners, I would imagine, want that glory of winning. But he's just a guy in particular that would, I, it wouldn't surprise me if he just did not care. And that was just so, the best deal for him. So the thing with Bob Nutting is, weren't the, weren't the Pirates like, they were, they were in a few wild card games earlier in the last decade, you know, with, you know, solid winning records. And if they were in that situation and, and he wasn't, he wasn't spending that much, he wasn't shelling out, you know, I think that, that, that kind of goes to the heart of it is, you know, even, even when these teams are doing well by current standards, they have stingy owners who don't want to put anything beyond the bare minimum into their teams. And so I think that if you're, if you're going to have that across the board, no matter what, what it comes down to me for is once again, kind of the fans getting that excitement up, because I think that that's one of the few ways where you might be able to see some sort of pressure on ownership. I know that's, you know, much easier said than done, but kind of if you have, you know, a fan base where there's expectations and where there can be noise made in social media and, in, in, you know, traditional print media emphasizing how, how important it is to the city to have, have some more success that kind of gives the that kind of gives the fans a little bit of leverage. Again, not sure how great of a strategy that is. You know, if you know fan angst that you know management decisions were what controlled everything, uh, then the Mets would not be as, as you know terrible as they've been in recent years. But I I, th- I think this is this is the best way forward. And I don't know if it's you know sixteen teams every year, or if it's just you know some you know expanded version of the previous wild card, but. I say the more the merrier and, you know, being in line with the other pro sports, I, I don't think that's a bad thing at all. My wackadoo theory that would most likely never work in practice. Every team that goes above 500 makes it. Some years there are seven, some years there are nine. Occasionally there are 11. It just keeps happening. It would never work, but I think it would be really freaking cool. Just 
you get like a fluctuating uh, number of teams each year and you adjust accordingly. So why the team that's one game above 500 and not the team that's one game below? I have not thought of it that far. But See, this is, this, is, this, is, this is the problem with bringing a law student on your show is that I'm always going to have these like pain in the ass questions I can throw back. <laughs> I will say just because 500 is a, a baseline for average. And if you need to be a bit sure. above average, 82 is above average. It's more than 81. It's a nice round. It's a, it's a round number. Right. And that's yeah. exactly what I'm looking for. I think it would just be fascinating. Say it's very top heavy one year and there are only four teams above 500, that would just be that, that very American League thing to do where the, the rest of the teams just suck. And then, it's, and, and then there's an, a nine-team National League. I think that would be so cool. It would <laughs> never work, but someone needs to put me in charge. I need to start sending letters to somebody. As of press time, the teams that are in, in the American League, the Tampa Bay Rays, New York Yankees, Toronto Blue Jays, Minnesota Twins, Chicago White Sox, Cleveland Indians, Oakland Athletics, the A's and the Rays have both clinched. The Astros are the inevitable eight seed at 29 and 28. Uh, the inevitable last team, I apologize. No worries. We're all, we're all getting used to this new format here. It's, you know, kind of bonkers. I mean, hey, I didn't know that, uh, I didn't know that the last two seeds were wild cards until a couple of days ago. I thought they were just like the two best third place teams. I guess essentially where, called wild cards in that Because te- 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 technically you could have seven and eight be the third and fourth place team in a division if those happen to be the two best remaining records, which like does feel kind of crazy to think like, oh, you know, you could have a fourth place team, you know, playing, playing in the World Series if they, if they make it that far, which is like insane. But, you know, that's, this is the world we're living in. Bizarre to think about. Yeah, sixth seed for Houston is correct. They do have the worst record of the remaining playoff seeds, though. But because the AL West is so weak, the Angels will be eliminated quite soon. More than likely, at least. Uh, the, the Astros just need one win, and they're in. And they just need to not get swept. Surprising teams that we need to talk about in the American League. I know you had, you've been very happy with how the Chicago White Sox have done. Talk about that. Right. I think that the thing with the White Sox is there's just been there's just been such a great um, blend of all this young talent they've gotten together. And it's all starting to come together at the same time. Eloy Jimenez obviously had a, a solid start uh, last year. But I think this year he's really taken that next step in terms of his consistency at the plate. Uh, Tim Anderson showing that he's not a fluke, uh, maybe dropping a little in, in, in the batting average race this week. But really, really consistent play from him. You love to see it. Uh, Giolito heading that rotation with an absolutely sweet no-hitter earlier this year. You've got you know your your random rookies in the bullpen that have come up big: Matt Foster, Cody Heyer. Heyer, I, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. It's it's it's, it's German of some sort. Cody, apologies if you're listening and I butchered your name. And at the, at the same time, you're having Jose Abreu, you know the the veteran cornerstone of that lineup for years. Uh, dwelling in the cellar of that division, having you know the the best season of his life, uh, you have you know guys like Grandal, where even if their numbers aren't kind of you know top of the line, you can imagine the kind of value people like him provide inside that clubhouse. And really, it's just seeing how long the team has toiled, and that's that's the thing with Comedy Central is that you know it's up for grabs every year, and so it must be extra tough for White Sox fans to see things kind of shuffle back and forth between Cleveland and Detroit and Minnesota. And you had a couple of years of Kansas city in there. Um, and the White Sox just couldn't break through at all last decade. Um, and to see them kind of put it together now um, it's, it's exciting. 
staying in that Comedy Central, I'd like to highlight the Cleveland Indians, a team that didn't make the playoffs last year, should have based on their talent, won 90-plus games. The rotation here is impeccable. Shane Bieber, Zach Plesak, Carlos Carrasco, Aaron Savali, Cal Quantrill in the five spot, who got traded for Mike Clevenger. Of course, Clevenger had the uh, incident where he was just out and then lied about it. The lineup has, there's a lot to be desired. Francisco Lindor is Francisco Lindor. Jose Ramirez has bounced back. Carlos Santana, the walk king. Fernando Reyes is there. I don't know if this team's going to go far, but it is good to see them back in it. And I always rooted for them, even in 2016. I was a big Andrew Miller fan. I'm a Yankees fan. So watching the relievers prosper that year was fascinating. The amazing James Karinchak and Brad Haddon in the bullpen. I think they can make a run, especially in a three-game series, based on that rotation alone. Right, and I think that the X factor... uh... It was my man, Terry Francona. You know, I've always had a soft spot for that team uh, in large part because I owe a lot of the best, you know, baseball moments of my, of my young life to Terry Francona's managerial skills. But I think that he's the kind of, he's the kind of guy who you want in your dugout in those, you know, clutch late October situations. He's been there before. He knows how to get the best out of his guys. And I, th- I, I, and I think that you kind of, with, with this team, you see a lot of guys kind of hitting above their weight and overachieving. I think that, um, you know, Framil Reyes finally putting it together after some inconsistent uh, cups of coffee with the Padres. I don't think that's a coincidence. Uh, Delino DeShields, he's, his, his batting average is back down to, you know, a, a more manageable number. But this has been his best season uh, at the plate of, of, uh, of quite some time so far. Um, and then you get, to, you, get, you, get, you get to this rotation, which not only is solid top to bottom, but Zach Plesak, Aaron Savali, those were not highly touted prospects at all. They, they, were, they were not coming up on our show back in the day, except I probably brought up Savali, him being a Connecticut native, which, oh, I have missed being able to be a homer for those guys so much. You have no idea. To say um, nothing of Tristan McKenzie, who came in and struck out 10 in his very first start, now is getting his velocity back in that bullpen. Yeah, and he's going to be a really scary piece to presumably add full-time uh, next year. Uh, and also talking about that bullpen, I know a couple years ago, that was, you know, really uh, a huge weakness for this team. They had to, they had to make a change as, uh, as Scott Atchison, former Red Sox reliever, was coaching their bullpen. Uh, he, lost, he lost his job over these poor results. But as you said, Hans having a great bounce back year. James Karinchak's a revelation. Then you got guys like uh, Nick Whitgren, who was uh, astonishingly a waiver claim a couple of years ago. Very bizarre to see a, a guy like that uh, essentially picked up for nothing. Uh, Oliver Perez, 39 years old, still getting it done as a, you know, as a lefty specialist. They're, 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 they're all on at the same time. They're all figuring it out. And as of right now, there is no, there's no central division champion. And so this is going to be a really, really uh, fun and exciting weekend for that. I will say, however, Cleveland may have the inside track just because their, their season ending series is against Pittsburgh. Whereas, you know, we have, we have a crosstown series in Chicago. I think it's much more likely there'll be some splits there. Uh, Twins and Reds, you know, Reds are another playoff team. So Minnesota has a slightly uh, harder road. Uh, So I would not be surprised if uh, Cleveland's currently in third. I think they're definitely going to be in second by the end of the weekend. And I wouldn't be shocked if they walk away with the division crown just based on uh, this kink in the schedule. We're going to talk about disappointing teams as well. Pittsburgh does not count in that conversation. That's just no one had any expectations whatsoever. But it's been really bad. This one team in the American League that I'm upset about, they were not supposed to be good. They were 78 and 84 last year. But are they as bad as their 19 and 38 record indicates? The Texas Rangers. I had such high expectations for an eight 
team playoff format. Lance Lynn was a revelation last year. He's been fantastic this year. Uh, Kyle Gibson and Jordan Lyles in free agency were supposed to help. Rafael Montero is a viable closer. Tell that to Mets fans. They're not going to like that. Uh, <laughs> Mike Miner struggled before getting shipped off to the A's. He had a 7.7 wins above replacement last year and could not replicate that. The collapsing of Elvis Andrews and Rubin Odor was, I guess, not foreseen. They were not good on August 31st. I feel like they should have tried a little bit harder to get some deals for their guys. And the fact that they held on to win and the fact that they held on to some of their weaker assets and currently have Nick Solak hitting in the five spot doesn't seem like, though he had a good year last year, not the place for him. They're starting some guys right now, like Kyle Cody and Wes Benjamin. They are obviously not household names. Jonathan Hernandez and Jesse Chavez are the seventh and eighth guys. Chavez has had a rough season. This is the kind of year where John Daniels may not make it past December in his organizational post. Yeah, and I think that you know Chris Woodard, Woodward has to be on the hot seat after a couple of years too, which is disappointing. He needs to be on the hot seat for his takes regarding Fernando Tatis, but that's a different conversation. Oh, I mean that. Yeah, if, if if you want to go there, um, but no, I, I I I think one thing that tipped me off a little bit is I was following the. Um, uh, out of the park baseball simulation that baseball reference was putting on back when the season was in limbo and the Rangers were just, they were terrible in that simulation. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, fake computer baseball is obviously quite different from the real flesh and blood game. But, you know, I think, I think that simulation might've been onto something. And one, one, one thing I think is kind of interesting is you've been there being very overt about the fact that they're just auditioning young guys and triple A players for, um, for spots on a, on a, on a future team that's hopefully in better straits. Um, and there have been a couple of bright spots. I think you know, out of the bullpen, you mentioned Jonathan Hernandez. His, his numbers look great. You see a guy like Brett Martin, you know, continuing to build on a, a solid debut. He had last year, Taylor Hearn, who uh, was a nice trade ship coming over from the pirates. And like, he might be able to figure it out as a lefty in the bullpen. But yeah, I think if you, if you just look at this lineup, it's, you know, it's a lineup that misses Shinsu Chu a lot, which is like, you know, a really iffy thing to be saying because he's not the player he once was. But you have fewer guys like him, Todd Frazier, who was sent over to the Mets. Uh, Elvis Andres is on the DL and was, you know, not performing well beforehand. And with 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 a lot of the guys who are seeing regular at bats for them are they they get quite a bit of the the quad A type. You know, Derek Dietrich, uh, Andrew Romine just got brought over, and also just some marginal guys who really. You know, I I just I would not consider them you know bona fide major leaguers at this point. Eli White took him like twenty at bats before he got his first hit. Solak is is one of my favorites just because of his versatility and the fact that he can still kind of you know hit a decent amount while playing like you know six seven positions well. But yeah, he's not a middle of the, of the middle of the order hitter. You know, Ronald Guzman. Uh, started off kind of hot this year, but then is back down to earth where people thought he would be. You know, there's just not a lot to work with right here. And this is a team that's had a bit of an interesting draft strategy. It's only the past couple years they've started to go college position players in the first round. They had Josh Young in the first round last year. He's now their top prospect and their only top 100 guy. And they picked Justin Foskey out of Mississippi State this year. But historically, they've been a much more kind of, you know, boomer bust draft philosophy, a lot of prep players. Um, and I think that kind of, you know, the lack of talent that's coming into their system at, you know, at a higher baseline, you know, higher floor. I think that's kind of, that's really kind of what a lot of this does boil down to. No, I'm not saying they were going to be world beaters, but they tried to spend money and enter their new stadium with a somewhat competent franchise 
That was the goal, at least. Now the goal is to cut contracts. So that just did not work. And they missed out on the Anthony Rendon sweepstakes. And that just seemingly derailed what their strategy was. And disappointing to see. I thought they'd be much better. Disappointing for my ego because I thought they'd be much better. But <laughs> we move on to the National League where it is much, much more wide open. Only three teams have clinched spots so far. The Atlanta Braves and the Los Angeles Dodgers who have uh, both won their respective divisions. The San Diego Padres got in for the first time since you were 10 years old. I was eight years old. In oh, we have, a, we, have a, we have a fourth team. The Cubbies. Oh, that's okay. Right. I didn't bold that on my sheet. That would make sense. They are 32 and 25. Uh, but the rest, wide open. The Miami Marlins, Philadelphia Phillies at one under. St. Louis Cardinals, as we said, 28 and 26. Their games are going to matter. My NL Central pick, the Cincinnati Reds, are only a game over 500. That has not worked. The Milwaukee Brewers are still around. The San Francisco Giants at 28 and 28. And then the eliminated teams, the Washington Nationals, couldn't get off to their 19 and 31 start to win a championship again. There's just not enough time. Pittsburgh Pirates, as we said, nothing to expect. And the Arizona Diamondbacks, that could count as my disappointing team, but I'm going to bring another one up later on. Talk about the Slam Diego Padres. You are donning their shirt right now. What has gone well? Do we owe apologies to AJ Preller and company? I think we may. I really think we may. You know, this is the year everything just really started to go right for them. You have guys like, uh, you know, Tatis, who were, you know, such highly touted prospects. You know, he came up last year, tore the cover off the ball, but had the injury. But this is, you know, technically his first, you know, full season, you know, at the top of that lineup. And, uh, you know, just seeing how special he is. This is a guy who I feel comfortable saying is going to be contending for the MVP crown for years to come. Uh, you had other, 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 other guys who were, uh, you know, acquired in his many deals, Jake Cronenworth, who I'm going to, you know, crush on for a little bit later, completely out of nowhere playing elite defense at first base to fill in for Hosmer to start the year when he's just this like scrawny little infielder and, you know, having, you know, his insane numbers at the plate shifting over to second base, you know, without, without even batting an eyelash, you had some of the other big signings, you know, Machado, Hosmer, as I mentioned, you know, both kind of becoming the players that were anticipated when they signed those big money deals. Hosmer in particular had a very disappointing year last year. Uh, when he's been healthy, it's, look, it's looked like he's figured it out. He's um, finally Rich- hitting the ball in the air, which was a gripe that writers have spoken about since at least 2015. It's like a happy Gilmore learned how to putt moment. He started right. the ball for power more than – more than he ever was before, and it's really paying off. Right, and I think also, just to circle back to these guys who've been picked up in trades, Zach Davies, you know, coming over from Milwaukee on uh, the Eric Lauer deal, I, I'd say that one for one was a huge upgrade, but Davies was not necessarily an, a name that was, that was turning heads uh, at the time of that trade, and now uh, you're looking at his numbers, even for someone who's playing in Petco Park, seven and four, sub three ERA, you know, obviously, feel is uh, his his FIP is a little bit higher, but um, to be that kind of consistent innings uh, innings eating starter who still you know hasn't hit his full six years still in that initial contract that's very very impressive. Denilson Lamet 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 whatever how, however it's pronounced he he he's been great this year and Trent Grisham of the unfortunate moment in the wild card game last year. Uh, has been a very consistent leadoff man and played solid defense in center field. Uh, you love to see a redemption story. Um, and it just kind of goes to show that they're getting contributions from guys who were, you know, not necessarily heralded pickups, but it shows that Preller is finally developing an eye for talent. Uh, you know, it's kind of shocking to see that Grisham 
uh, gave them more this year than Tommy Pham did. Obviously, there was an injury there, but uh, I think that's, that's just kind of illustrative. And then, of course, you have Austin Nola coming over, which, you know, getting a catcher who can rake like that at such a young point in his career, you know, that's a money move right there. Jerry DePoto and AJ Preller could just lock themselves in a room and just trade their rosters just for a day. what happens. You'd have to take them out after 24 hours because you know they would stay in there for longer. My team that I want to profile, my surprise team, the Miami Marlins, and surprise in more than one way. One game <laughs> over 500 is shocking enough. What about returning after half of your guys had the coronavirus and the guys that were called up in their seed were actually competent players? And now that they have the full squad, it's looking like they can make their weird little run. They've never won a division before. They only made the playoffs twice and both times they won the World Series. I am not suggesting that's going to happen. The Los Angeles Dodgers are a very good team. But Corey Dickerson, Jesus Aguilar, two restoration projects. Ryan Anderson, I'm always a big fan of for his versatility, though he's playing a lot more third base than right field these days. Garrett Cooper was sick. Garrett Cooper was injured. He's looked quite good. And this rotation I have gushed about. Pablo Lopez and his killer changeup. At the ace, Sandy Alcantara, fantastic before he got sick, fantastic after. Sixto Sanchez called up in the beginning of the year, still touching 100 miles an hour. The restoration process of Yimmy Garcia, James Hoyt, Brad Boxberger, Brandon Kinsler has always been a competent closer, but he's still 36 years of age. He's not exactly a dominant guy out there. Richard Blyer, the first guy who got claimed over while everything was happening. There were a lot of jokes on Twitter about him just being sent against his will, almost like to Siberia going into the hotbed of Miami at the point. Ryan Stanek has been helpful. Steven Tarpley, of all people, has been helpful to the cause. Not everyone is back. Uh, They still are missing some lower-level depth options like Logan Forsyth, Isan Diaz, Harold Ramirez, Francisco Cervelli had yet another concussion. Uh, Josh A. Smith, there's still another Josh Smith lying around, so you need to have both of them on the roster at all times. (laughs) From a team that just a few years ago, got rid of their entire starting outfield. A team that was a buyer in 2016 before the unfortunate death of Jose Fernandez really derailed their progress, and that had a lot to do with it. Two years of just abject misery. They finally might be back into a point of where they're going to be scary year in and year out. One move that is going to haunt them, Zach Gallon for Jazz Chisholm. Doesn't matter how, Chis- how good Chisholm is, Gallon is a superstar. He could be the guy who would help that round out the rotation. But overall, I have so many good things to say about the Miami Marlins. Yeah, I think that the Gallon loss is definitely offset by that Max Meyer draft pick. Very smart choice. Um, I am very reluctant to give Derek Jeter credit for any sort of baseball operations move. You have. Um, I am forced to in this instance, and I, and I, and I will. One, one thing very briefly, it's, it's interesting, and we talked about this earlier this summer. I think that the Marlins' performance this year is making the case that um, expanding to 32 teams would be the right move for the, for the game just because uh, there's a definite parallel between these guys that came into Miami to rebuild the roster and the kind of people who would be picked in an expansion draft. And they held their own. They did, they did, they did great against, you know, you know, solid established major leaguers. And uh, I think the fact that, you know, Don Mattingly can get this ragtag group in, in the position they are uh, in right now um, it's it's a credit to how those kinds of players rise to the occasion. Also a credit to Mattingly too, because you know it's been a really rough tenure for him. You know, obviously the the lack of of, of success on the field, but uh, not, not not to get too heavy. I I remember uh, when Jose Fernandez passed away, um, and having to watch Mattingly's press conference uh, the next day. It was one of the that was one of the hardest things I've ever had to see in this game. 
Um, and you know, that kind of, that kind of thing really has to, to weigh on someone. Uh, and I, I wouldn't be surprised years afterwards. Um, and so I had to kind of see him get his shot in the playoffs. And it's kind of funny because he wasn't, he, uh, he, he, he had some issues getting the playoffs uh, in his playing career. Did he not? He did, of course. And that was his <laughs> big, the big problem in Los Angeles. He had these very good rosters and he just couldn't get past the first round or the second round. Right. And so, you know, I'm, I have to be careful what I say as a Red Sox fan, but he was always one of the Yankees I most respected. And so it's really good to see him get his due. I would be remiss to forget about Starling Marte, the reason they went into contender mode. Now with the steady two-hitter in their lineup, though it hasn't been entirely smooth sailing, they still have their pieces in place. They can make a surprise run. I don't think they're going very far, but this is positive momentum, which is something as the franchise they have not seen in years. Maybe the the winter of 2011 when Jose Reyes and Mark Burley came to town. Oh, that, was, that was a failure the rest of the way. <laughs> But I'd forgotten about that. They were very excited then. They get to be excited now. The, my, my disappointing NL team, in addition to the Arizona Diamondbacks, the New York Metropolitans, not that injured. They lost Marcus Stroman to an opt-out. They lost Juana Cespedes to an opt-out, although I have it on good authority. He was hanging around Long Island in a bar a couple nights before he opted out, so his safety concerns were not as uh, pronounced as he may have made them. Jacob deGrom, Michael Waka, David Peterson, Rick Porcello. A patchwork rotation aside from one of the best pitchers in baseball, if not the best. Waka Waka, AA. He has not really helped his cause. Uh, a, a bargain bin signing. Rick Porcell has been okay. David Peterson, a good little prospect. Seth Lugo moving to now the two starter in this rotation after being the closer. They've gotten a bounce back season from Edwin Diaz, even though his meltdowns are in very important moments. Uh, for the most part, he's had a good year. Might be a good idea to try to trade him while the momentum is hot or just ride with him. It's still very scary to trust on a game-to-game basis. Just not a lot of positive momentum. Pete Alonso had a very down year. Jeff McNeil had a rough start to the season. And it looks like Brody Van Wagenen's days are numbered, especially since Steve Cohen is coming to town. Dominic Smith, though. That MVP is, votes. He's going to get back, back of the ballot MVP votes. That has been really nice to watch. And you have to imagine that, uh, that, the, that, that the polar bear, Pete Alonso, he's going, he's going to bounce back from this. You know, I think that you, 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 don't, you don't hit 50-plus as a rookie and then just, you know, wilt away like some, like some you know, dying flower or anything. So I, if, once they get to a point where both of those bats are on at the same time, I think that's, that's, how, you, that's how you build a lineup. And so there, there are things to work with for Brody or whomever comes in to replace him. Uh, you know, the, the interesting thing about Peterson is I actually saw his professional debut August of 2017 at uh, MCU Park down in Coney Island. You know, not really, didn't really come to Queens with a lot of pomp and circumstance. Um, not an incredibly flashy pitcher, but uh, he's a lefty with good stuff who's been able to, you know, eat innings. And that's kind of an, an, an underrated factor this year is guys who are stretched out and ready to go. Because uh, as we alluded to earlier with this ramp, uh, this uh, abbreviated ramp up, you know, you have a lot of guys who aren't fully prepared to go, you know, those five, six innings. You're seeing a lot of four inning starts, forcing teams to go to their bullpens earlier. Um, and so his ability to do that, especially on a team that's, you know, struggled with guys like Waka making it the full, you know, the full length of a start, you know, you had to kick Mats out of the rotation. Second straight year has been kicked out of the rotation. You hate to see it. Really do. Now we get to go on the farm a bit. There is less of a farm to talk about than in years past, of course, because there was no farm. But we've had guys called up from the alternate site. So we're going to go to the alternate site and talk about some guys who 
have stood out, some high-level high names and how they've done so far. We have to start with Josh Hader, too, and his name is Devin Williams. One earned run in 26 innings pitch with a remarkable 52 strikeouts. Not everything is going well for the Milwaukee Brewers, but they have a stable in the bullpen, and Williams and his fantastic pitch, his changeup, really, really impressing the me, myself, and the rest of the baseball world. Yeah, I think that uh, the, th- the thing with Milwaukee is they obviously have guys like you know Yelich, who when he's on, you know he's an M- he's an MVP threat every year. Um, you have some exciting you know young position players, you know Kesson and Hira. You know that's a team that's kind of for a while, in my opinion, struggled to really develop homegrown pitching. You have probably their their most successful pitcher of the past few years, Josh Hader, uh, was developed by the Orioles, came over in a trade. I believe Jonathan VR might have been involved. I'm not sure. But I think that this is a, this is a good sign to see a guy who was a first-round draft pick. Uh, and that was all the way back in 2013, and he didn't debut until last season. So um, definitely a, a, a long, hard road for Mr. Williams. You know, it's a miss the entirety of the 2017 season due to injury. Um, didn't even hit double A uh, until last year. Um, and so this kind of just goes to show um, the importance of perseverance in this game. And that's one thing I'm kind of, you know, worried about with this, you know, looming minor league contraction is, you know, it'll be tougher for a guy to kind of stick it out for six or seven years and then uh, eventually make that leap and, and make it to the next level and you know, be able to contribute this way because there are going to be Devin Williams's in the future. There are going to be first round picks who have to, you know, go th- go through the woods and come out on the other side, so to speak. He has the added luxury of being drafted in the first round, however. They'll give him more chances than most. for guys. Second, drafted, second, second round, excuse me. Even so, Mistake. if you're in the 28th round or even the 40th round and it takes a while to get to where you're supposed to be, you're not going to get as many options. So let's continue. A, a couple of high-level guys. Joe Adele started off in the Angels. The Angels have been disappointing. That was just expected. They're just, they, that's Mike Trout and Mike Trout alone. Adele really struggled. Hit 154 with a 464 OPS, a 27 OPS plus, and 125 plate appearances, and the killer number, seven walks to 52 strikeouts. He's not even in this, he's not cracking the lineup anymore, even though they have not much to play for. Very strange circumstances, of course, but you don't want to see this from a guy who was heralded as going to help Trout out for years to come. Yeah, no, that's that's tough for Angels fans to see it. I don't want to write him off too quickly just because oh, that was like, guys like the Number was he number two overall prospect baseball? I feel like Wander Franco was always a little bit above him. Franco um, won Adele currently four, but Adele did reach two a couple of years he ago. He did, right. Um and so I think that just given given his, his five tool status, I don't want to write him off this quickly. Um Trout himself did have a very mediocre first stint in the majors, but um even so his peripherals were uh were were considerably better. He was uh, in twenty eleven when when he was a, a young in he was you know, striking out more than he walked, but not by more than seven times, as is the case with uh, our friend Mr. Adele here. Um, you know, I, I also think that he's the kind of guy who, uh, having seen having seen him, you know, in, in interviews and you know, on social media, he's the kind of guy where he has the kind of personality where, that can really help grow the game if he's able to tap into that star ability on the field. Um, and so... I, I think with that in mind, I find myself pulling for him a little extra just because, you know, that, that, that'd be a huge missed opportunity. But also another thing to keep in mind about him, though, is we talked about guys who 
you know, are not getting uh, a ton of season. He only had 27 games at AAA last year. Um, I think that um, for him in particular, he's one of the people who may have benefited from live game action in the Pacific Coast League this year before, before using his way in. Speaking of Mike Trout, this is his worst statistical season since that 2011 year. His OPS plus is a measly 167. I can't believe Mikey, get it together, buddy. He's really declining. This is going to be the end of his career. It is imminent. Now, going on to some more disappointing guys that have just uh, struggled out of the gate. The one-two punch of Casey Mize and Tariq Skubal in Detroit. Detroit was not a team that was supposed to be good, but they were hanging around the playoffs uh, race as recently as last month. Skubal, one in three with a six ERA. 31 strikeouts in 27 innings is encouraging. His fifth is a 5.59, which is a bit better than Mize's which is six four seven. Not a lot to show for it, but again, they're very young. There is no reason to be even the slightest bit concerned yet. And I'd like to see them both succeed. This is a team also with Matt Manning and Alex Fado trying to rebuild through pitching. Doesn't always work, but they believe they have the pieces in place to uh, make sure that they're the next batch of competitive Tigers rely on their arms, less so than the original ones of Verlander, Scherzer, Anibal Sanchez, and Doug Fist are all veterans who had a younger core of hitters. So ironically enough, uh, one of the attorneys in the office I worked in this past summer was a huge Tigers fan. Shout out Kevin Daly. So, you know, I got to hear a lot about uh, this, this, this pitching depth firsthand this summer. Um, and I think that, you know, take, take, taking his thoughts and kind of extrapolating them to that fan base as a whole, just the ability to see these highly touted pitching prospects who have been tearing up the lower and, and, and mid-tier minors get some major league action was the reward in and of itself. I think with um, Mize in particular, he this was this was a double A to the majors jump. And for the Tigers in particular, uh, I, I would say are not known for rushing their pitchers. You know, they very they very much like to give their starters a full, a solid full season in double A or triple A. Um, that's a little different in the lower minors. They'll maybe shuffle guys around, but they take, they take that part of it very seriously. And so I think, uh, I, th- I think with a guy like Mize, yeah, he's here a little bit ahead of schedule, but this is something where I think that there could be a good, a decent adjustment he's able to make next year. Um, you know, a f- his fir- with his first full offseason as a major leaguer, first spring training as a major leaguer. Uh, one thing I found kind of interesting with the Tigers, just to, you know, go a little, a little bit uh, off script here. Uh, they were piggybacking Michael Fulmer and Daniel Norris uh, on the same uh, on the same day on days when Fulmer was starting. And thinking back a few years ago, and like those were so, that was supposed to be their like one two punch of their rotation. How uh, how how far the mighty have fallen? You know, just looking at Norris's peripherals right now, ERA is in the low threes. Uh, we've got. 25 strikeouts to six walks, 235 batting average against nearly 1.8, 1.8 ground outs to fly out. So he's right, that is better. He's definitely picked up on he's picked up on some stuff. He's kind of getting away from those like really iffy past three seasons he's had. If he can if he can stretch himself out, he looks like the kind of guy who could contribute as like a back of the rotation starter for the next couple of years. If not, then they've got um, a very good long reliever lefty out of the, out of the pen who can give them multiple innings at a time. Uh, and so that's actually, I think he's been one of their uh, more positive surprises, you know, Brian Garcia as well, being a, a lights out short reliever, kind of stepping into that closers role after Joe uh, Jimenez melted down. Um, so there's like some interesting pieces going on in Detroit and uh, with Ron Gardenhire uh, retiring uh, a few days ago, 
that's going to be a very intriguing managerial option uh, as, a, as, as a kind of red looking at, looking at those intriguing young pieces, uh, these pitching prospects who are starting to reach the majors. And then, of course, Spencer Torkelson, who uh, I think will be in the major leagues no later than June of next year. I like the scouting report that came out of about him during the draft where he could be the cleanup hitter on this team now, and he has zero games to his credit. Oh, I don't doubt it. Incredible. We'll stick in the central for two guys you wanted to talk about. Uh, Brady Singer and Chris Bubich of the Kansas City Royals. Sure. And so Singer, if you look at his peripherals, hasn't been fantastic this year. But um, there are a couple games where he really just came into his own. On the 10th of this month uh, at Cleveland, uh, he went eight no-hit innings, followed that, followed that up. His next start against the Tigers, uh, six shutout, only two hits given up. To have a guy you know, picked in the first round in 2018, two years later, he's up giving you solid innings. And you know, Chris Bubich, I believe, was in that draft class as well, lefty out of Stanford. Um, and to have him coming up and you know, outperforming pretty much everyone in that rotation, not named Brad Keller. The Royals have been another team that's really been trying to rebuild through pitching. You guys like Jackson Coar and Daniel Lynch were uh, just right behind those two. And I think that this is a Kansas City team that's really had trouble developing bona fide starting pitching uh, of their own in the past few years. I think, you know, Jacob Junis has really struggled. Um, And so, you know, this is like a really nice development to be able to see the Royals be able to put this kind of homegrown pitching talent together, Um, especially in a, a, a division where a lot of the other teams, their threats are coming, you know, on the offensive side of the ball, you have, as you mentioned, the White Sox, you know, Eloy Jimenez, Andrew Vaughn's coming up with the pipeline. Indians, they're stacked top to bottom. You know, Lindor is going to be anchoring that lineup for many years to come. And then you get the Bomba squad up there in Minneapolis. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's incumbent on, on Kansas City and Detroit to be able to find a way to counteract that. It looks like the Royals, you know, through develop, the development of these young pitchers uh, are, are finding a way to do that. I think there's a lot of hope that Kansas City fans can feel after watching um, Singer and Bubich pitch. They've definitely kind of... Uh, ensured their their places and I would say like the two through four zone of that rotation next year um, with you know Coar and Lynch potentially joining them and uh, Asa Lacy uh, picked you know in the draft this year fourth overall at a Texas A&M um, argue, arguably uh, the most dominant college pitcher uh, of this pa- of this past season I would maybe even give him that nod over Max Meyer just you know numbers wise in the, in the NCAA so uh, exciting stuff going on in Kansas City. The last guys will profile will go to Toronto. Nate Pearson has been a mixed bag. Started off, looked like uh, the kind of top prospect that he can truly be with his 100-mile-an-hour fastball. Then he had some struggles and an elbow injury, but he has since returned. And, of course, the story that is sweeping the nation, Alejandro Kirk, the backup catcher who has turned himself into a platoon role with his very hot start to his career. Five foot eight, 265 pounds, an absolute chungus. <laughs> <laughs> this is a am, team that's going to make the playoffs and they're going to be fascinating to watch in years coming forward. I am so glad that you found a way to uh, work the phrase chungus into the broadcast. Let me just leave with that. And the, and the thing with Kirk is uh, it's kind of the other end of the spectrum of these guys who have, uh, who have struggled after just skipping one level. Kirk did not play full season ball until last year. He's only 21 years old. He's, he's not turning 22 until this November. He tore the cover off the ball when they sent him up to advanced A last year. And, you know, evidently they liked what they received from him in the alternate site. Reese McGuire's had his, his issues stay on the field. Danny Jansen uh, will never be a world beater offensively. And so there is this kind of vacuum that uh, Toronto's had at the catching position. And what a great story if, you know, 
Kirk can, can be the one to fill it. Danny Jansen may never be a world beater, but Reese McGuire will be a parking lot beater. And we will move <laughs> on. The MLB in recent days has announced that the Atlantic League, Frontier League, and American Association are all now partner leagues rather than independent leagues. Per the press release, these three will meet regularly with Major League Baseball to discuss joint marketing and promotional opportunities, including the league's shared goal of providing baseball to communities throughout the United States. Now, this is not new for the Atlantic League. They've been almost an experimental cousin of MLB over the last few years. It's where the rules get put in place with the pitch clock and automated strike zones. This new deal extends through 2023, and now the Frontier League and American Association are included in that as well. Very good for these teams. I'm a Long Island Ducks I mean, I'm close to them. I go uh, every so often. I went last year, and it's interesting. It's not the worst brand of baseball, and it's fun to let's let's remember some guys. You'll see Lou Ford, Lou Ford, who I've actually taken batting practice from a few times. He's no shit around. Very random story, but yeah, he knew one of the travel coaches that I had, and he just threw to us one day. It was very cool. And TJ Rivera in the game I went to actually had the go-ahead home run in the eighth inning. But very good for these teams. There is going to be an inevitable conversation surrounding minor league baseball contraction, however, considering there was no season, considering that this has been Major League Baseball's plan anyway, this could be the writing on the wall for some teams to be cut and moved to either uh, permanently contracted or just moved elsewhere now that the MLB has their three feeder leagues in place. Sizzling hot take time. I feel like this season with respect to the minor leagues is Major League Baseball's dream. I feel like in, the, in, their, in their perfect world, they would not have to deal with this with this other structure um they just like have teams you know keep guys at their 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 spring training sites you know kind of like you know a european soccer club just like keeping guys at their academy would so but you know contraction is going to happen this season is going to be used as an argument to speed it up um it sucks uh it's going to be you know really bad for um you know i would say keeping the spirit of the game alive in a lot of these different communities that are, you know, off the map, don't have as much of a connection to the game without having that minor league franchise in town. But um, the league is, is dead set on doing this. And so I think that, you know, at this stage of the game, acceptance and, you know, saving my anger for you're at that fifth stage of grief already. I am. It hasn't even happened yet. This this is called getting ahead of the curve. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect way to think about it. And, the last topic of the first show, the new scheduled amateur draft date, normally in June, going to be pushed back to July. The original plan was to have it live in Omaha, Nebraska, at the side of the College World Series. Now they will not be inter- there will not be any interference. The season will be concluded in the college ball and presumably most high school leagues as well, and it's going to have its own event. The plan is for mid-July. I think this is great. The NFL and the NBA capitalize on their drafts. MLB is notably not as exciting because there are much more players. You don't get to see these players immediately. But I like to I always like to watch and just see who may be a factor in the next couple of years. If they can market that and make it a more uh, national event, that'd be great. They have a lot of work cut out for them though. Oh yeah, no, they and they were they were very much behind the curve. Even though they have their uh, their current version is televised, you know, they only that's only, I believe, uh, this decade uh, innovation, you know, so, so much later than, uh, than the other leagues. You know, when I, when I was a kid, the draft was a conference call. And that, it basically and that, and that, is in day three. They just hear right. numbers and names. Exactly. And, you know, even though, like, it was really cool to see, you know, like, the three or four high schoolers they pick and have, 
that they, they pick to come into the studio and have them, you know, you know, be on camera and give interviews and get to go up and get their jerseys. You know, that's nothing compared to, you know, what it should be, which is, you know, basically you want, you want everyone to be able to go up there and shake the commissioner's hand and, you know, revel in that moment. Cause it's, it's a, it's a really cool, cool experience. Um, and so I think that, you know, setting it aside, giving it a little more attention and promotion is, is really good for the game. And also um, from the standpoint of, of a college coach to have, to have your team in the thick of the postseason, very high pressure situations, and also have your top guys, you know, thinking about what their draft status is, you know, whether they're going to get picked, you know, if they just got picked, you know, thinking about, you know, what, you know, what they're going to do in terms of, you know, negotiating, coming to the table to potentially sign. Uh, that's just an extra mental headache that, you know, you don't want to have to deal with when you're trying to win the college world series. Uh, and so I think that kind of separating those two um, is, is best for all parties. And also it really does put you at a disadvantage if you're, if your collegiate team uh, advances further. Uh, Cause you know, you're not able to even come to the table with your, with the team that drafts you until you've been eliminated. And so, um, you know, if you're a guy on like Vanderbilt or Oregon state, um, you're kind of, you know, watching, you know, how much money you're being offered. You have like a set target in mind for your signing bonus. You know, if you can't negotiate until a, a good chunk of the signing period's gone by, you know, the team's already, you know, made commitments to other guys. They may have less money in the pool. That's another risk for teams too, is they have to kind of, you know, play that sort of waiting game. If there's a guy they really want whose teams, you know, in the, in the, in the finals of the college world series, and they have to kind of hold off on, you know, other signings to, you know, make sure they, they, they've got their money shifted around. So, you know, long story short, it was a little bit of a mess the way they'd been doing it. And so, you know, making that hard clean split between the college season and the professional draft was the right choice, even if it was made, you know, quite a few years too late, in my opinion. As long as we're here, we finally, though they're finally uh, enlightened. And now that will do it for the first episode of the On the Farm podcast. Sam, it was so great to hear your voice speaking in baseball phrases again. Oh, you too, buddy. It this doesn't was, this was what I needed. came over text. It, 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 it truly doesn't. Um, you know, I think that I've, I've realized you know, I miss you know, talking this stuff out. There's only so much like, like you could say over text or I can just like sit passively and absorb through my laptop or my phone. Um, baseball is a game that's it's meant, it's meant to be talked about. I think that some of the most you know, compelling figures in this game are people who talk about it for a living. You know, Vince Scully, other other legendary broadcasters. This is a game that's based on stories and sharing. And you're comparing stories. us to them is what I'm hearing. I'm comparing right. them to us. Wow. <laughs> what a way to end. We have a great weekend of baseball ahead of us. We have the playoffs upcoming. We will see you soon. <laughs>